0: We're continuing our sermon series through the book of Acts, looking at how the gospel goes forth into the world, and that the gospel is for everyone. And uh, that's very clear in our today in today's passage that the gospel does go forward to everyone, both to Jews and to Gentiles. Which we're going to read about today. Um, now, before we get into the the scripture, you know, I, I feel like I say this every week, but uh, it's been quite a year, right? I mean, it's been a, a year like any other year, the last 14 months or so. Uh, I, I feel like I say this every week, but come on. We, we had a, a a new global virus, and, and then global lockdowns, and, and unemployment, and racial tensions, and, and a presidential election uh, only really surpassed by the previous presidential election in terms of causing turmoil amongst our our country and it's been an incredible year of division I think I mean on top of all of those things it wasn't just those things it was that in light of those things there was great division amongst us as a country and as as neighbors in the community I mean there was the question of like a, who who has to wear masks and why and where do you have to wear them and should you wear them should you not wear them and and then there was the presidential election which sort of polar polarized our community in all of these things there's so much reason for division and you know I, I'll hear many people say or write articles that 2020 I mean, we've never been more divided as a people and maybe that's true but. I, I, one one professor at the University of Virginia, historian of American history, uh, he disagrees. And he says, as a historian who has written and taught about s- the Civil War area for several decades, I know that the current divisions pale in comparison to those in the mid 19th century. Between Abraham Lincoln's election in the November of 1860 and then the surrender of Robert E. Lee's Confederate army, In 1865, the nation literally broke apart. More than three million men took up arms against one another and hundreds of thousands of black and white civilians in the Confederacy became refugees. Four million enslaved African-Americans were freed from bondage. After the war ended, the country soon entered decades of virulent and often violent disagreement about how to best order a new biracial society in the absence of slavery. To compare anything that has transpired in the last few years to this cataclysmic upheaval represents a spectacular lack of understanding about American history. But we are divided, right? I mean, it's not just across the country, but even in our own communities, or even our own families, or church. We, we have people that we disagree with and we're divided. Is there any hope then for for bridging us together as people within the same church even, or in our community? Is there any hope to bridge this divide? Well, back in the days of the Civil War, there was a church in St. Louis, a church I'm familiar with. When when my wife and I lived in St. Louis, we were members of a church that was celebrating 150 years as a congregation. They existed as a church during the Civil War, and during this celebration, we heard story after story about how this church came together in the midst of great division, and there were northerners and southerners worshiping together. In fact, the church leadership had both northern sympathizers and southern sympathizers worshiping together and leading the church together. There is hope for union and unity and peace in the midst of divide. That's what we're looking at today. This story of of two people representing two groups, two cultures, two kinds of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, who historically have never gotten along together. And yet we begin to see in this passage how the gospel brings people together who were once divided. It's the gospel of peace. And so as we read this passage from Acts 10, we're going to see what is the root of division. We're going to see what is the right way to view others. We're going to see what the good news of peace really is. What is the root of division? What is the right way to view others? And what is the good news of peace? Now, this is a long chapter, and the story takes place across all of chapter 10. So we're actually going to read three different chunks of scripture as we go. If you're using the Red Bibles, we're going to begin on page 535, Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Cornelius And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one that you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. And we thank you, Lord, that the gospel is for everyone. We pray now through your Spirit that your word would uh, pierce into our hearts and open our eyes to see who it is, Lord, that you've called us even to share the gospel and remind us that the gospel is for us too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the story is fairly straightforward. There is this man, Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, a leader of the army. And he's a Gentile, he's a non-Jew, and yet he does fear the Lord, and he does pray to God, and he is mindful of the things of the Jewish religion, but he, as a Gentile, cannot participate fully in the worship of God. And then on the other hand, you have Peter, born and raised as a Jew, probably circumcised on the eighth day, brought up in the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, devout, Now, a follower of Jesus, commissioned to lead the church as it expands throughout the ancient Near East. And here in this story, we see those two people coming together, that that God has orchestrated this to happen. But why was this even an issue at all? Like Why does Luke dedicate a whole chapter to this story? Well, for Jews and Gentiles... Well, they didn't get along together. According to the Jewish religion, God's law, they were to be a distinct people of God, separated from the nations. And in, by, by Peter's day, the traditions had grown in such a way that to associate with a Gentile would have made you unclean. You couldn't do business with a Gentile. You couldn't eat with a Gentile. You could not go And stay at a Gentile's house. Because according to their religion. They were to be distinct. Marked off. Separate from the Gentiles. There was this division. But it wasn't just rooted in this law. Because as we'll see. That's not the totality of what God's law has actually said. But the the root of this division. The root at this division was pride. Pride. It was the pride lying behind Peter's heart. And we see this come forth when, when Peter has his vision and the Lord says, rise, kill, and eat. Peter's response is defense. Oh, no, I, I have never done that. He, he's almost, he feels slighted that he would even have this in front of him. He was so proud of who he had become as a Jew that he had followed these traditions to a T. You see, it's, it's pride behind one's religion like this that caused division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And I think behind every kind of division, the root of that is pride. Whether that's being proud of one's nationality can result in division amongst nations. Or pride in one's cultural ideals that can cause division too or or pride in one's political affiliation and and the platform that you stand on that can cause division with those who disagree with you or even pride in one's color of skin pride in one's religion you see behind every bit of division There is pride. Now, in Peter's case, he was proud to be a Jew because, according to the Old Testament, like God had called out the Jewish people, the Israelites, to be his treasured possession. This is what Peter heard taught as a child. And it's there. Like, look at Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham who who wasn't an Israelite. There wasn't anything called Israelites at the time. He called Abraham out and said, you, I have chosen you, and you will be a great nation. I will bless you. You will have great descendants. A great nation will come from you. And then as this great nation nation grows and they go down into Egypt. When God pulls them out of slavery in Egypt and sends them off to the promised land, he calls them and says, You are my treasured possession. Like I have redeemed you. I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm giving you this land so that you can thrive and grow. There was this sense in which the Jewish people were God's chosen people, it's all over scripture. In the prophets, we see God say, do not fear, you are mine. I have called you by name. God's people have historically, I mean, this is such a a beautiful doctrine, this doctrine of election, that, that God chooses people to be their God, to bless them and care for them, and to set them apart, yes, but what was happening in Peter's heart and in the hearts of these other Jewish Christians at the time was that they had twisted this doctrine of election. They had twisted it to make it sound like something that it wasn't intended to say. Because at this time, they, they all thought, look at us. We must have been so great. We, we must have been so moral or ethical. We must have followed all the rules that God would look at us and of all the nations of the world, he would choose us. You know, When I look at Christians in America, I sometimes feel like we've gotten a little arrogant with our claim of being the chosen ones or the special ones, the unique ones. As if there was something in ourselves that God looked at and said, you've got it. But what they had forgotten, what Peter had forgotten, what we forget is that when God chooses his people, it's not because there's anything great about them. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 7 reminds us of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God tells his people, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, for you were actually the fewest of all of them. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your forefathers, that he would bring you up with a mighty hand. God's choosing of Israel was because he loved them, not because they did anything special or unique. And so, brothers and sisters, Today, there's nothing unique or great about us. We are only part of the people of God because God has set his love upon us. This is what Peter needed to be reminded of. That, that he, he should not be proud. But when he reflects on this doctrine of election, it should humble him. Tremendous humility. But the other thing that he's gotten wrong about this idea is that all along when God demonstrates his his love of Israel, it is paired with this mission that he has called them on. Yes, he does call out Abraham and say, I will bless you. But he says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. When he calls Israel out of Egypt, he says, I've rescued you, you are mine, but I am putting you in this land so that the nations will come to you and see you as a light to the nations. Even in Isaiah, when he says, do not be afraid, I have chosen you, you are mine. He is beginning to set the groundwork for Gentiles being included in the people of God. You see, all along, God's people have been called out and chosen in order to go and bless their neighbors. Peter had forgotten both why God had chosen him and he had forgotten for what purpose God had chosen him. If, if the root of division is pride, then the solution is this tremendous humility that comes when we reflect on the fact that God does not love us because we were worth loving, but God loves us despite all the things that make us unlovable. The root of division is pride. Peter needed to see in this vision that God was, he was changing the story. That, that what was once unclean, now God had made clean. What once there was distinction between Jews and Gentiles, God was coming to bring together. What Peter needed to do was see a proper sense of his self, that, that God was using him to do this. But we also need to see what is the right way to view others? We see Peter needed to learn the right way to see himself. Now, what is the right way to view others? Well Let's pick up the story in chapter tw- 10, verse 23. So the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Peter, we've seen after this vision, he's obeying and he's going to Cornelius's house and he gets there and and Cornelius falls before him in worship. And Peter says, no, stand up. I am a man just like you. And then he begins to say that he knows now that what God has called clean, he is not to call anyone unclean or common anymore. It's amazing that even in this short time that the Spirit has taught Peter how to view one another, how to view other people. And the right way to view other people is to see them as God has created them, to to see them the same way that God looks at them. Here's what I mean. When he walks in, Cornelius tries to bow and worship him. And he says, no, I am not noble or worthy of worship. I am a man just like you. And the next thing he says is, and I've learned to call you a man too. You are not common or unclean. You are a man just like me. In essence, he's saying, like, I am no better than you and you are no worse than me. He's understood that the right way to view others is not based upon their what makes them different, but to look at what, what brings us together, what's the same amongst us. And what's the same amongst us, no matter what political party you're a part of or whatever division we're in, what is the same about us is that we were all made in the image of God. And that, that's As being human beings, we were made in the image of God. And that's what Peter is saying here. This goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. When God was creating everything, he he said, let us create man in our image. Let us give mankind reason and intellect and, and, and a sense of morality and a duty to do good. But beyond that, let's give him this opportunity, this capacity to glorify God. To be made in the image of God means that mankind has this infinite value and dignity and worth that no division takes away. Look, in our society, there's a lot of talk about showing dignity and value and worth to one another. Like, there is a lot of talk about needing to respect one another. But where our society, I think, falls short is giving us a reason why we have to do that. I, I think we too often say, or hear, you know, these people are, are being oppressed or hurt or victimized. Let's show them respect and honor and dignity. Let's do that. that they deserve that. And yes and amen, absolutely. But we also see from this doctrine that the, we're supposed to honor and respect everyone, not just those who have been marginalized. You know, we're so, the scripture calls us to pray for and respect those in authority above us. The same people who say respect these people are also the ones that say, yeah, but you don't have to respect your opposing political leader that you disagree with. Or you don't have to respect your neighbors who are at that rally outside. Or you don't have to respect whoever it is that you disagree with. Our society doesn't have a basis for saying, you have to respect these people. But what Peter is understanding so the right way to view one another is that we were all made in the image of God. And because of that, even though we might disagree with each other, even though we might have a division amongst ourselves, that is still true. And because that is true, they deserve and, and, and have infinite dignity, value, and worth. To say anything less than that is to dehumanize them. I mean, when, I mean, I see this online all the time. When there's someone that we disagree with, I see people say, it is crazy that they believe that. I and mean, did you see what they posted? That's insane. Those words, crazy and insane, those are just polite ways of saying there is something wrong with their head. I mean, the way that they think is wrong. That is dehumanizing. I've actually seen people call other people. Clowns and animals. It's so easy, hidden behind a keyboard, to let those things come out. But it's dehumanizing. It's saying that you are less than human. It is to take away their dignity, value, and worth. But when we reflect on the doctrine of being created in the image of God, we have a reason to respect one another. But let me be clear. Christians historically have not always done a great job of this. Christians historically have not always believed that this is true of everyone. We've taken this doctrine and also twisted it to define what does it mean to be human. And then if you're not up to that standard of being a human, well, then you don't get dignity, honor, value. Kevin DeYoung recently wrote about the American Christian's failure to do this, especially during the time of slavery. And he writes how we've twisted this doctrine. He says, white Christians in this country have not always believed the doctrine of the image of God. Or at least they have not always acted like it or really believed it. Slavery in this country originated in greed more than racism. As the institution endured it, drew racism out of the human heart. You could argue tragically that it was precisely because this country was so Christian that racism became so virulent. Most Americans knew that the Bible required in loving their neighbor as themselves and in respecting the image of God in one another, but instead of letting their theology correct their practice, they developed perverse ways to conclude that blacks were, in fact, not their neighbors, not fellow image bearers, not fully human. For many white Christians, the way to make their Christianity and slavery cohere was to convince themselves that the slave was not the same kind of human being that they saw in themselves. Even today, we would all do well to examine our hearts and see if there is any part of us when encountering someone of a different race or ethnicity that wonders if we are not actually made of something more refined, more noble, and more divine. Peter learned that he was not to view himself as more divine than his neighbor, Cornelius. He came to realize that this man and myself, we were made in the image of God. That is the right way to view our neighbors, deserving of full dignity, honor, and respect. So that when there is division, we don't let those things prevent us from coming together. Our challenge is the next time we even think about saying something like, can you believe that, clown? Or saying, man, you're acting like animals. Stop. The challenge is, before you say those things, consider how are they also made in the image of God? What in their life can you find to respect and honor? Take the time and do that work. That's the only way that we'll begin to move toward one another. So we've seen Peter had to correct his sense of self. And he had to correct his sense of how to look at others. But that only brings us to the table together. There's, you know, we need something more. What can bind us together? What can unite us? And that's the good news of peace. Peace the good news of peace. Let's look at 34 and following. So Peter opened up his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation among whom fears him and does does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he has sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. not to all of the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The only thing that can bridge people together is this good news of peace. Peter goes forth and begins to share the gospel, the story of Jesus From the beginning of his ministry through his death and into his resurrection. This is the good news of what God has done through Jesus to save us. It is a gospel of peace because it brings peace to us with God. Look, every one of us on either side of whatever division we stand in need of this peace. We stand enemies with God, hostile to God, rebellious against God. But it is through Jesus who died on the cross, taking away our own sins. And by faith in him, we are reconciled to God. That is the peace that we have. And what's so amazing is that as these Gentile hearers are listening to this news, the Holy Spirit falls on them. That means that they believed in it too. Because the wonderful thing about this gospel of peace is that not only does it reconcile us to God, but it also reconciles us together in Christ. The gospel of peace is, it's two directional. It's vertical, yes, uniting us to God himself, but it's also horizontal. That because we're united to God in Christ Everyone else who is united to God in Christ are therefore united to one another too. And so these Gentiles receive the Spirit, they're baptized, and they're welcomed into fellowship with the Jewish Christians too. This is the power of the gospel. Turn on any news channel or flip on the radio. Read any book that's published now about how can we bridge this divided world Everyone's got theories, everyone's got programs and plans, everyone's got legislation, but the only thing that can really bring the peace that we long for is the gospel. Yes, there are ramifications of how we apply the gospel to ourselves and our community, but the truth is it is only by preaching the gospel, by believing the gospel, can we have peace. We see in this passage that God is bringing together people who have been divided. The way that we do that, even as a church here, is that we recognize what is the root of that division, and that's pride. We need to be humbled. But we also see that the way forward is to view one another in the right way, that each one of us were made in the image of God. And so, yes, I might disagree with you, But I know that you are made in the image of God, and I will treat you with respect and honor. But then finally, unless we're believing and teaching the gospel to ourselves and one another, there won't be peace. That's the hope that we have in this divided world, is the gospel. That church that I spoke of at the beginning, that we were members of for a couple years It was the only church that I've ever been a part of where both Democrats and Republicans came and worshipped next to each other. It was the only church that I had seen uh, uh, the old and the young coming together in in this glorious, beautiful way. It was the only church I had been part of that that opened their doors for the Iranian community to come in and have fellowship and have dinner with Christians. It was this beautiful example of crossing the divide. This is the only church that I've ever been a part of where where gay and straight people came and found a new identity in Christ and worshiped together. The things of this world that drive us apart, the gospel can bring us together. And it's only the gospel. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. It's because at this meal, we all come to the foot of the cross. No matter our background, no matter our political affiliation, no matter our stance on masks or the vaccine or whatever, because at the cross, we're united. We're united by the blood of Christ. He took away that wall of hostility in his own flesh, bringing us together in himself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you Lord, that you have sent your gospel for everyone. Lord, that the things of this world that do divide us, Lord, you have conquered those divisions. Lord, that you have sent, you have sent your gospel, Lord, to those who are far off and those who are near. Lord, because it's in the gospel that we find, we find peace. We find union with one another because in the gospel we find union in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.